Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Finally, a tentative deal with Hollywood producers and SAG-AFTRA. Tuesday's election, a big blow to the culture wars, so says the American Federation of Teachers. And today on the show, SEIU Healthcare Pennsylvania and the UAW win putting all workers in the driver's seat. Welcome to the Thursday, November 9th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Jake Lindahl will be our first guest on the show today. He is the lead organizer for SEIU Healthcare Pennsylvania. It's a service employees. And the topic we're going to zero in on today is the wave of privatization and private equity in healthcare. And we're going to talk about nursing homes primarily. And he reports that most counties built nursing homes to serve constituents in the late 1800s and early 1900s. In fact, a lot were built to take care of Civil War veterans. Well, over time, they became real centers of community. It's where people would go when families couldn't take care of their elders anymore, especially poor people who couldn't afford private care. Well, in Pennsylvania for about 20 years, one by one, county nursing homes have been sold off to the highest bidder. There were and still are major challenges facing county-owned homes with the way healthcare funding works. But it's also a political problem. There was a shift at some point, I remember this so well, late 70s through the 90s, where it was very popular to say government is the problem and we'd be better off if these social programs, welfare, food stamps, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, were cut or eliminated and let the private sector take care of it. Well, today, there's only a handful of county homes left in Pennsylvania. One more, the Crawford County Care Center that was sold earlier this year. Westmoreland Manor, and we're going to focus on Westmoreland Manor, where they're negotiating for a new contract now, is one of the only ones left. And during the same time, says Jake, private equity has come to really dominate health care in nursing homes, home care agencies, and hospitals. These are firms usually based in New York City on Wall Street that have health care facilities in their portfolio. And all they care about is profit. Profit over quality care. Profit over the residents. Profit over their reputation. And definitely profit over providing good jobs. As a result, we're seeing a lot of hospitals in rural communities closing up. Nursing homes are bought, sucked dry of resources, and then sold off again. So we have a big problem there, but healthcare workers are fighting back. And he points out recently the uh, Kaiser Permanente strike, which we talked about on this show. Over 80,000 healthcare workers across several states, mostly in the West, went on a three-day strike to protest Kaiser's unfair labor practices. And uh, because of what was going on, 
Jake had the privilege to fly to Colorado to help the local there. I mean, that's what unions do. It's all uh, all banding together. There's another issue, and this is with uh, Local 668, SEIU Local 668. They're fighting with the, uh, the county, Westmoreland County. And apparently non-union members received an 8% raise, and uh, they're using that against the union. The union says wages in the county are so low, they can't fill critical positions like 911 dispatch, the county courthouse, the juvenile detention center. So we'll touch on that as well. So Jake Lindahl, organizer with SEIU Healthcare Pennsylvania, will be our first guest. Our second guest is Michael Shields. Michael's an economist with a great organization, Policy Matters Ohio. We feature that organization many times over the years here on America's Workforce, policymattersohio.org. And Michael took a look at what happened this year with the UAW strike. And uh, this is titled, The UAW Win Puts All Workers, All of Workers, in the Driver's Seat. And they dug into details, and he reports year after year, and he focuses on Ohio because there's a lot of auto plants in Ohio. Year after year, Ohio working people have created record wealth on the job, but for two generations, employers and the wealthiest have consolidated power in the job market, and used it to capture nearly all the growth for themselves. Well, the UAW, says Michael, has shown that by organizing together, working people can reclaim their power and use it to create great jobs at the companies they make profitable. And he points out that policymakers should take note of this. They can and should use public policy to craft an economy in which working people set the terms of their employment. So what Policy Matters Ohio has done, they put together what they call a new way forward, which is a policy prescription to solve some of the biggest challenges facing states like Ohio. And you know what's number one on that list? Protecting the workers' right to join or form a union. That's number one. There's more. And uh, Michael's going to talk about, again, the, that website is uh, policymattersohio.org. Do check that out. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Well, They've been on strike since July, and we have a tentative agreement. Got an email yesterday from the folks at the uh, TV Theatrical Negotiating Committee, which voted unanimously to approve a tentative agreement with the motion picture producers. So as of 12.01 a.m. Pacific time today, the strike is officially suspended, and all picket locations are closed. In a contract valued at over $1 billion, the negotiating committee at SAG-AFTRA has achieved a deal of extraordinary scope that includes, quote, above pattern minimum compensation increases, unprecedented provisions for consent and compensation that will protect members from the threat of artificial intelligence and for the first time establishes 
a streaming participation bonus. This is pretty significant. That was a big fight over AI. Our pension and health caps have been substantially raised, which will bring much-needed value to our plans. In addition, the deal includes numerous improvements for multiple categories, including outsized compensation increases for background performers and critical contract provisions protecting diverse communities. We have arrived at a contract that will enable SAG-AFTRA members from every category to build sustainable careers. And right now, the full details of the agreement are being worked out. Again, this is a tentative agreement, and it's being reviewed by the SAG-AFTRA National Board. So congratulations to the uh, bargaining committee. That was a lot of hard work uh, for many months now. Good news, too, out of Las Vegas. Hospitality workers have announced a tentative deal with casino giant Caesars Entertainment. Spokesperson for the Culinary Workers Union announced that the deal will be made public once approved by rank-and-file members. Now, this announcement could help avert a strike of 35,000 workers at more than a dozen hotels and casinos across the city only days before the union planned to stop work. However, a walkout may still happen at other casinos like MGM Resorts International and Wynn Resorts. Picket lines are planned at 45 locations along the Las Vegas Strip, currently being transformed into a racetrack ahead of the Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix. That's set for uh, next Wednesday, November 15th. Well, we're getting more uh, comments on what happened at the polls on Tuesday. And this comes from the American Federation of Teachers, one of our supporters here on America's workforce, and uh, they report when public education was on the ballot, public education won. An AFT analysis of approximately 250 races throughout the country, where the far-right invested resources in backing anti-public education candidates found that AFT-supported candidates in those races won over 80% of the time. In locations as diverse as Bucks County, Pennsylvania, Wichita, Kansas, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Aldine, Texas, and throughout Ohio and Minnesota, voters rejected extremist school board candidates and voted in support of candidates putting public education first. Anti-public education school board candidates, publicly supported by the far-right 1776 PAC, And Moms for Liberty, they lost over 70% of the time. Randy Weingarten is the president of the American Federation of Teachers, and she said these results underline what families have been telling us for the last two years. They don't want culture wars. They want safe and welcoming public schools where their kids can recover and thrive. Where extremists peddled fear, Voters wanted hope. Where extremists tried to smear and divide, voters demanded real solutions. She went on to say voters want government to support them, not man books, censor history, or limit their reproductive choices. They want public schools strengthened. They want good jobs, higher wages, lower costs, and investments in transport and infrastructure. 
They reject division and want to seize the future together. Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers. All right, quick break. When we come back, SEIU Healthcare, Pennsylvania. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a Local 50 representative will call to begin the process. Hey, this is Sean McGarvey, and I'm president of North America's Building Trades Unions, and I'm a proud lesser of America's Workforce. I love this podcast. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. AWF Union Podcast is the place to go. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Can't wait to talk to Melissa Cropper, who's president of the OFT, about the uh, election results on Tuesday. And she's got to be a real happy camper, just like the uh, folks at the American Federation of Teachers. Before we go to our first guest, I got to give a plug to our friends in Alabama. That would be Jacob Morrison and Adam Keller. We featured uh, Adam on the show just two days ago. And they're getting ready for a marathon broadcast. It's going to be live streamed on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch starting tomorrow friday november 10th now this is central time 
9.30 Central Time through Saturday, November 11th. And they're doing this for 32 hours because the UAW is pushing for a 32-hour work week. So that's a lot, that's a lot of talking. But uh, you can help them out. And they're doing this to support those on strike, like the, uh, the bakery workers. They've been on strike in Memphis, Tennessee since uh, June. And they're hurting. They're hurting. So they're trying to raise some uh, funds for those that are on strike. Mack Truck also, uh, they had a tentative deal with the UAW, but it fell through. But here's the uh, place to donate. It's tvlr.fm forward forward slash strike fundraiser. tvlr.fm forward slash strike fundraiser. Do check that out. And maybe you want to give them a call. They'll be announcing phone numbers to call in starting tomorrow and going through Saturday morning. All right, let's go to Pennsylvania right now. And joining us on our live line is an organizer with SEIU Healthcare Pennsylvania. The website is seiuhcpa.org, and they're about 20,000 strong. And Jake, as I indicated, is a lead organizer, and they got their hands full here because of what's been going on in the healthcare industry. And we've seen this wave of privatization. And sadly, when things go private, costs are cut, workers lose their jobs, and patients, well, they don't get the support they should be getting. Jake, welcome to America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us today. Why don't you zero in on what's happening? I guess it's at, what is it, Westmoreland Manor? This is the nursing home you want to talk about. Can you explain to our listeners what has happened here? Hi, yeah, happy to be here. Um, so uh, Westmoreland Manor is a, is a very large nursing home, um, and it's the Westmoreland County nursing home that's directly southeast of Pittsburgh. Um, we're in negotiations right now. Um, we have been since the summer. Um, we're fighting for a lot of things. Among those things would be a guarantee that the county is not going to sell off the nursing home to the highest bidder. Um, you know, we're in a situation where um, I think we're at a point where you can count the county nursing homes on one hand. Um, and that's, that's really sad because uh, there was a time not too long ago where um, just about every county in the state had a, had a county-run nursing home. Um, and, uh, you know, they were real centers of community, or a real um, part of the social safety net, um, usually taking care of the, the poorest folks in the county. Um, and when there's so few of them left, um, uh, they really stand out. And, you know, they have good, they're good jobs right now. And um, mm-hmm. when, they, when they go private, that's, that's no longer the case, so. So how long has this been going on, the sell-off that you're talking about? Really, um, in the last 20 years, it's been a steady trickle, you know, one by one. The county nursing homes go. Um, probably started a little bit earlier than that. But um, it's it's really over the last 20 years that we've gone from, you know, most counties having one to very few having them. Um, just this year, the Crawford County Care Center, which is in northwestern Pennsylvania, um, sold went private um and um yeah and you know like i said there's probably about a handful left and they're all at risk of going too and, and they sell them to like uh what like wall street hedge funds private equity funds things things of that nature that's that's the people that are buying these nursing homes well they go to the highest bidder um and usually the highest bidder is um somebody financed out of new york um and 
you know, yeah, I mean, that's the market right now. It's it's a lot of private equity. Um, it's a it's a lot of um, you know, frankly, shady companies that um, you know swoop in. Um, they'll buy the nursing home, make a bunch of promises, um, you know, hold on to it for a few years, suck out every penny they can, and then sell it off to the next person. Um, and, you know, they, they really look at it as something else in their portfolio. You know, they, they put profit above everything else, put it above patient care, put it above especially the workers, um, put it above the communities that they serve. Um, even their own reputation, you know, it's it's gotten to the point where, uh, you know, they don't really care what shows up in the newspaper about them as long as they're still making money. Mm-hmm. They they often strip the resources from those homes, and if maybe you could give give us this example here: Brighton Rehab and Wellness. Apparently, <laughs> it got to the point where it's now a criminal case. Can you explain what's going on? Yeah. So. Brighton Rehab and Wellness is a, is a former county home, too. It's the Beaver County Nursing Home, or was, and was sold back in 2014. And um, what happened there is, is, is really tragic, really. I mean, it was a great place to work. A um, uh, lot of folks you know, lived and, and passed there. Um, it was a real center of community. And uh, after it was sold, a bunch of promises were made, but pretty pretty soon they were not kept. Um, and what's happened there is, um, especially over the last five years, um, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, they're in battle. Um, there's a civil case right now um, over, you know, a lot of the nursing home residents there who, who died during COVID. Um, there's a wage theft case because... Uh, it, was, it was determined that by uh, intentionally understaffing the building, the company saved millions and millions of dollars, um, which then, you know, ultimately resulted in the tragic loss of life, loss of life there. Um, and then on top of that, there's actually a federal criminal indictment over um, health care fraud and defrauding, uh, defrauding the United States um, for, um, you know, a, fraudulently um, uh, getting more Medicaid reimbursement than they should have gotten. And um, there are five individuals indicted on that. Um, and uh, their their trial's coming up, and it's not looking good. That's amazing. Just amazing to me. So is that nursing home, Is are they are they still operable, or is it is pretty much not working anymore? No, they're, they're still operating. Um mostly at full capacity um you know there's a still a workforce crisis and, and shortage and so um still not as many workers as there were back in the day but um uh, still about 200 workers um that are in SEIU um and uh it's a 500 plus bed facility and i think uh they they usually sit around the upper 400s as far as how many folks are, are living there so that's pretty typical. So if there's, I could use that as an example. If there's 500 employees at a nursing home before they get bought out by some hedge fund or a group of investors on Wall Street, they'll pretty much slice that number in half. Is that pretty much what happens? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if it was 500 workers at one point, but I know that um, 
we're in a situation where across the industry, across healthcare, um, you know, there's there's workers out there, but they're not at the bedside, you know, because mm-hmm. these aren't um, good jobs, especially post-pandemic. Um, not a lot of people want to do this work. The folks that are left are those that really care. Um, and, you know, that only goes so far when, you know, wages are stagnant and health insurance costs is high and, um, you know, forget about pensions anymore. Um, you know, nobody wants to come and do that work. And especially when a place has such a, you know, unfortunate reputation, you know, nobody wants to be a part of that when you hear about the civil cases and the criminal cases. And, um, it's, it's a real shame, but yeah, I mean, um, minus the workforce shortage that we're seeing, it's, uh, something that just happens with privatization, you know, with when the County or any public entity is running the nursing home, um, you know, they're going to they're gonna do things by the book, more or less. And uh, when a private company comes in and puts profit over anything else, they're, they're going to staff the least amount they can so they can bring in the most money they can. Bottom line, it's, uh, yeah, like you said, it's profits over people. Jake, let me ask you this. Is there any community uproar over what's going on? I mean, these people that are in nursing homes, they've got kids, they've got a number of relatives, they've got friends. I mean, this this is a crisis, as you pointed out. Is is anybody, I mean, obviously, SEIU Healthcare is being vocal, but what about what about the community? Is that happening? Yeah, I, I'd say so, um, and, it, and it varies by location. Um, what we've seen in Westmoreland County is um, is really an outpouring of support from the community. I think you know we've been um, having rallies and picketing the courthouse, and um, I've seen a lot of solidarity in, in the little bit of time I've been working with these folks, and um, you know that's encouraging. But you know the other side of this is, you know, let's be real about who the county nursing homes uh, have served historically. It's usually the poorest people um, in the region, and um, on top of that, it's usually folks that, you know, don't have anybody to take care of them at home. And so they end up at the nursing home um, because they might not have somebody to take care of them or they might not be able to afford um, private care or home-based care. Um, and so they, they end up at the nursing home. And so um, it's really sad because, you know, these populations are some of the most vulnerable in our community. And, um, you know, while there is, um, especially in recent years, a lot of support uh, around um, the workers who provide the care and, and um, you know, making sure that we have these resources for folks. The truth is, you know, these folks don't have a lot of people speaking for them. And so, you know, in, in, in our union, you know, we like to think that, you know, we're, you know, of course we're fighting for workers and representing workers, but we're also, you know, fighting for the folks they take care of and, and the community at large. Jake Lindahl joining us on our live line today. He's a lead organizer with uh, SEIU Healthcare Pennsylvania. Let me drive you to the website. It's SEIUHCPA.org, about 20,000 strong in Pennsylvania. We'll continue with him later in the show. We're going to check in with Michael Shields. Mike's an economist with Policy Matters Ohio, and he's going to talk about the UAW contract and how that is going to affect all workers in America. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. 
It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org is their website. Let's go back to our live line and rejoin Jake Lindahl. Jake's an organizer for SEIU Healthcare Pennsylvania. We're talking about the healthcare situation in America, which, frankly, in one word, is tragic. It really is. I mean, profits over people. We've seen the privatization of nursing homes. We talked about that. And I understand you were uh, you went out west recently, and we we hit this really hard on the show. When you know when eighty thousand healthcare workers walk out, that's a story. That's a big story. Yeah. This happened at uh, Kaiser Permanente, and uh, and it did get a lot of press. So that uh, talk to me about your experience on the on the picket line. How did that go? Well, I mean, it was it was electric, really, and it was really inspiring because um, where I was at in Colorado that local union actually hadn't been on strike in over 25 years. And so a lot of the folks out there, um, you know, had never been on a picket line before. Um, And so uh, when we were out there and we were out there for three days, um, it was, it was really strong. I think on the last day there were a thousand people that gathered in Denver for a big rally. Um, And it was, it was, it was, it was electric and folks really felt, um, you know, that, uh, their, you know, the relationship that they had built with Kaiser over years and decades um, in recent times had, had really fallen apart. And so it was, 
um, a big turning moment for for uh, the union um, and for the company. And um, you know, in the end, um, they ended up winning big. Um, you know, over twenty percent wage increases over four years. And um, you know, I, I, I just I, I always love the sign that says, "When a healthcare worker is out here, there's something wrong in there." Um, you know, because these folks are people who are mission-driven workers. You know, they, they do this work, frankly, not because of the pay or the benefits. They do it because they want to take care of people. Um, and it's, it's really hard to walk away from your patients and say, you know, we got to do something bigger here. And so um, those 85,000 workers did, um, and they won big, and they showed, you know, workers across the country, but especially healthcare workers, that um, in this post-pandemic uh, time, um, you know, it's time to stand up and, um, you know, fight back against, you know, what we're seeing with this, um, you know, profits over patients. It's gone too far. I remember the big slogan during the pandemic that uh, everybody in healthcare, the nurses, the doctors, they were the heroes. And all of a sudden, you know, when it, when it came to like contract talks, when it came to, you know, getting better benefits, Nobody seemed to care about that. So they went from heroes to zeros. I know that was yep. one of the battle cries out there. And then finally, you know, they got, they got their message across here. Yeah. And that's interesting too, because they, they went on a three day strike. I guess their hands were kind of tied. They couldn't go longer than that, but they were planning another walkout, uh, like in a couple of weeks after that strike. And that's when, yep. that's when they, they, they came together and said, okay, okay. We found some money for you. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. how that. <laughs> so let's let's switch to uh, I guess in Westmoreland County, and what is that? Where where is that in Pennsylvania, Westmoreland County? That's uh, the county uh, directly southeast from Allegheny County, where uh, Pittsburgh is. Pittsburgh. Okay, that that area. Now, apparently, there's a problem with uh, there's a fight going on with the county and the courts. And this is primarily your your local 668, and they've been very vocal. They've been getting some press on this issue. Why don't you tell us what's going on there? Yeah, so um, uh, 668 and Healthcare Pennsylvania, we're, we're sister locals here in Pennsylvania. Um, and 668 um, represents uh, all of the county workers that aren't working in the nursing home. So you've got your 911, your um, jail workers, your courthouse workers. And um, we've been at the table as one. Uh, we've been fighting as one, um, you know, and uh, sitting across the county. And we started back in the summer really at the county's request. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think we're still not sure why we started back then because, um, you know, the county's been dragging their feet for a long time. Um, you know, we're, we're fighting for some for some pretty basic things. I think, you know, all workers everywhere are feeling the pressures of inflation, are feeling the pressures of you know, years and years and years of, you know, inadequate increases and, um, you know, one by one, you know, benefits being stripped away. And, um, you know, here really what we're fighting for are some, some good wage increases to, you know, help bring folks to the bedside of the nursing home, but also, you know, make sure that 911 is staffed. I mean, I, I can't seem to wrap my head around the idea that people are okay with 911 not having enough folks on the line. And, um, you know, so wages for sure, but also, um, you know, these are frontline jobs. These are essential jobs. You know, like you said with the Kaiser workers, you know, all these folks were called heroes at one point. Um, but now because of the risks associated with the job, a lot of folks have had COVID three, four, five times. 
And um, they've burned through their time. They've burned through their paid time off, their sick time. And, um, you know, as a result, now, you know, they're having to sacrifice their own vacations or, you know, just take time unpaid. And, um, you know, that's, that's a real problem when, you know, you have to wake up every single day and put yourself in a situation, um, you know, where you could get sick and you can get your family sick. Um, you know, but they do it every day because, you know, it's what they care about. Um, and, and then the third thing, specifically for the nursing home, is, um, you know, we want to guarantee that they're not going to sell us off to the highest bidder. And so uh, those are some of the main issues that, you know, we're kind of dug in on right now. Um, and, you know, like I said, the county has been dragging their feet for a long time. Now, fortunately, um, after a lot, lots of pickets and rallies and um, activity going on in Westmoreland County, um, the, the county is, they, they seem to be getting more serious. They've actually switched out their entire negotiation team, um, and they're uh, trying to signal to us that they're going to be more serious. So for now, uh, we're on a pause. We're not picketing or anything, but um, we're, we're going to be ready to do whatever it takes once we get back to the table. Now, I understand that non-union members got an 8% pay raise so they gave they gave them an eight percent pay raise but they don't want to budge with you they provided them better health care too um and you know i think we, we're making some progress there but yeah i mean it, it's really um frustrating you know for folks that um have been preparing for these negotiations for a long time and um you know are being really clear-eyed and serious about what it is they need not because they want to you know fatter pocket but because you know, they want to see these be good jobs where people actually come to work and you can rely on folks. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a real shame that, you know, uh, they're, they're not willing to be as forthright with us, right? I mean, if you're willing to give other folks an 8% increase, why aren't we there yet at the table? That's a big question. And you brought up the nursing home, the fact that they may sell that off to the highest bidder, and that would be the last one, the last one. And so many have gone to those private equity firms over the years. Uh, do you feel pretty good about that? Do you think there's there's enough money to keep that going, to keep it county-owned? What What's your opinion on that? My opinion is there's always enough money. Um, it's, it's, it's almost always a political problem. There is... Um, you know, at one point it was uh, pretty popular to say, you know, government is a problem. Um, you know, we'd all be a lot better off if we left things to the private sector. Um, and so, you know, in a lot of places where these county homes have been sold off, um, it, it's really a political problem where, um, you know, there's a, there might be a situation that the county nursing home is facing. You know, all of them are pretty much short-staffed. Um, and so you'll have a situation where, you know, what you need to do to compete is just pay workers more so that you can have, you know, more patients in the nursing home and therefore more funding. Um, but they don't want to take that leap. They don't want to take, um, you know, what they see as risks um, because it's a lot easier to just say, well, it's not working. So now we have an excuse to sell it. Well, it seems like everything is a political problem and politics is a problem in America right now, too. So, Jake, thanks for joining us today. Jake Lindahl, who is the lead organizer for SEIU Healthcare Pennsylvania. They got their hands full over there. And those of you listening, here's their website, SEIUHCPA, 
dot o-r-g s-e-i-u-h-c-p-a dot o-r-g well hang in there stay strong stay in touch and and keep us posted on this i always say you know you got a friend here on america's workforce this show has grown in the past 30 years especially this past year within top one percent of all podcasts so there's a lot of people on your side okay brother thanks for having me solidarity all right we're going to take a quick break when we come back Michael Shields, economist with Policy Matters Ohio, how the UAW contract is putting all workers in the driver's seat. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to line number two right now and welcome Michael Shields to the show. Mike is an economist with a wonderful organization that I've been following for years. Policy Matters Ohio, policymattersohio.org. They do great research. Been around a long time, several decades. They have offices in Cleveland and Columbus. And uh, Mike recently posted a story about the UAW win, which puts workers in the driver's seat. That caught my attention. I figured I got to get this guy in the show because uh, I like 
I like what he writes here, and obviously we could take a deep dive into this. What's this going to mean for all workers? Because as you know, when unions win, all workers win. Mike Shields, welcome uh, back to America's Workforce. Talk to me about this uh, UAW situation here. Um, it, it went on for, what, six weeks? And from for the most part, looks like Sean, Sean Fain came out with a win, didn't he? It looks like he did. Yeah, definitely. And I'd love to get into some of the details on that. Some of them are, are just coming out, actually, from the UAW. Um, I, I'd love to start with, you know, here's why I think this is really important. You know, working people have been doing their part all along. Year after year, they keep getting better at their jobs, and almost every single year they produce record levels of wealth for their companies and for the economy. But for the last four decades, that productivity has not translated into higher wages for workers themselves. And that's a break with the past. You know, for decades after World War II, wages grew at about the same rate as productivity. That's why President Kennedy was able to say, uh, rising tide lifts all boats. Today, that's no longer the case. You know, my home state of Ohio productivity per worker rose 76% from 1979 through 2021, and wages for the middle worker over that same time span rose just 4%. When you look at the nation, the the numbers, both the productivity and the wages are a little bit higher, but the the trend looks the same. Um, And that middle worker, by the way, took a hit from inflation last year, so they lost a little bit even of that 4%. But... uh, you know, what we see is workers doing their part, but then it's not reflected in their pay. And I think the lesson learned is that our job market isn't delivering by itself on one of our core values, this idea that you work hard, maybe get a little extra education, do a good job at work, and that's the way to thrive in America. Why isn't that working? You know, I think it comes down to power. Uh, corporations and the wealthiest have been consolidating theirs in the labor market for decades that's what the UAW is hitting reset on with this contract. And this contract is historic. Mike, if you don't mind, let's unwind what you just said there. I want to go back to what you uh, commented regarding productivity and wages. You said 70% increase in productivity and only a 4% increase in wages. What time period are we talking about there? From 1979 to 2021, that's for my state of Ohio, the productivity increase per worker has been 76%. It's a little bit higher for the nation. Uh, wages are a little bit higher too, but the, you know, the, the pattern is really consistent. What we see is wages that have just been close to flat over those last four decades at a time when working people have become more productive than ever before. Year after year, unless we're in a recession or still coming out of one, working people are creating record levels of wealth that is no longer translating into their pay. Now, if you look at the statistics past 1979, I mean, what, two years later, Reagan fired the air traffic controllers, and we saw a huge decline in labor as far as a percentage of working-class people. Is that part of uh, the reason that uh, the wages have been so stagnant then? No, policymakers really do have a, a big influence over how people are are paid at work. You know, one of the things that we see as a result of this contract is working people have organized together. They've, um, you know, by coming together in in a union and negotiating this really strong contract, um, workers at UAW have been able to win back some of that power that corporations and the wealthiest 
have been able to consolidate over recent decades. And that's one of the reasons that they've captured so much. They, they haven't captured all of the wealth, but nearly all of the productivity gains, so the new wealth that gets created. And what policymakers do really has an influence over that. You know, I, I did a report this spring. It's called A New Way Forward. Uh, you can check it out on our website, policymattersohio.org, um, on our research tab. And uh, it uh, talks about 10 things that policymakers can do to help reset the balance of power between working people and their employers. And there's some really, you know, high, high line um, items, things that uh, policymakers can do really uh, both indirectly and directly. So uh, indirectly, you know, we, we've seen a big win here. Uh, UAW workers uh, won wage increases, not 40% across the board, but uh, mm -hmm. close to that for everybody. For some workers, especially those who've been at the, the bottom, um, wage increases of over 100% over the, the life of the, the contract. This includes the elimination of the two-tier structure that had locked workers who were uh, brought on after the Great Recession into a lower pay band and, and kept them there forever uh, until now. Um, so policymakers can really support that. They can make it easier for working people to join or form a union, uh, doing things like passing the PRO Act. That's before Congress right now. Uh, policymakers at the state and local level can also support labor organizing by things like when they award contracts, they can require neutrality. That means that employers don't try to interfere if workers um, announce that, that they want to create a union. Uh, they can award points in contracting for companies that do uh, have their, their workers represented by a union. So lots of ways that policymakers can help workers who want to form a union to be able to do that. We know that a vast majority, well over 60% of Americans support unions, only a small fraction of that, uh, only about a fifth of that number are actually represented by one. And that's because employers know how powerful it can be when workers join together in a union. And, and a lot of times they'll try to resist it, even sometimes illegally. Um, so that's one thing. We want to make sure that people who want to belong to a union are able to do that. Policymakers can help. Uh, they can also do things really directly. They can pass a minimum wage that meets the cost of living and recognizes the value of work. You know, our federal minimum wage of 7.25 was uh, cut in half from its highest value uh, way back in 1968. The minimum wage then, uh, in according adjusting, of course, for inflation, would be worth more than 14 bucks an hour today. So we've lost half the value of our minimum wage because policymakers have allowed inflation to uh, erode that without adequately adjusting it and, and resetting it. Now, uh, some states, so far a dozen states in D.C., have passed a minimum wage of at least $15 an hour. They are home to uh, more than 4 in 10 Americans, but that leaves a lot of folks um, out. A lot of states still have, have yet to, to pass a wage of even $15. Uh, some states are now looking at wages even higher than that. So those are two really big um, things that that uh, policymakers can do to help working people uh, to, to reclaim some of their power on the job and to restore some balance to this labor market. But uh, I talk about some others. There, there are 10 uh, recommendations that I have in total. We're speaking with Mike Shields, economist with Policy Matters Ohio, policymattersohio.org for more information on the new way. Or I'm just going to ask you here, with uh, what happened this year 
we had the the Teamsters with their record deal with UPS. I think a forty nine percent increase in wages. Look at the UAW that you referenced. They, they're asking for forty percent, which is what the CEOs gave themselves. They came pretty darn close. But uh, with all the media attention, with the fact that uh, the surveys show people like what unions are doing, do you feel we're we're pretty much on the right track right now? I mean, things. I mean, it seems like the stars are aligned right now. What's your What's your take on that? I do. You know, uh, you mentioned the Teamsters victory over the summertime. That was really remarkable. Um, you know, the United Auto Workers for a long time has been a standard bearer. Uh, really setting the bar for high-quality jobs in uh, the, you know, w- within their ranks and also extending beyond to, to include everybody. And this is one of the things that I think is so important about this win. You know, it transcends uh, the UAW's membership. These contracts bring temp workers into permanent status. They eliminate the two-tier wage structure that has kept workers who were hired since the, the Great Recession in lower uh, pay bands. You know, Toyota announced this same week that UAW reached its tentative agreements that they're going to raise wages um, for their facilities. And the United Auto Workers have set their calendar for this contract to expire on International Workers' Day, May Day, uh, four years out from now, and encouraged other um, unions to match their contracts that way so that they're really leveraging their power to help uh, set the the standards for high-quality jobs even beyond their own ranks. Um, so I'm, I'm just, I'm really encouraged to see that. Well, Sean Fain said that the next time they sit down, instead of the big three, maybe they'll have the big six or the big seven. And we're talking about the non-union places like the Hondas, the Nissan, you mentioned Toyota, and then there's Tesla. So, you know, when, when, when workers see wins at other auto companies or any other environment, they're going to say, you know what, maybe we should do that here. Because they got a pretty good deal, I want to. I want part of that as well. So we'll see what happened in the years to come here. Okay, my friend, thank you so much for the research. Again, UAW wins. Put workers in the driver's seat. Do check that out. PolicyMattersOhio.org. Mike Shields, economist. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the Union Veterans Council and veterans in piping. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.